0: Hello to our listeners around the world. This is the famous Book and Film Globe podcast, and I am your host, Neil Pollack, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more. We have an excellent Dog Days of August cast for you this week. We're going to talk to contributor Stephen McCauley about Justified City Primeval, which takes Marshall Raylan Gibbons, Elmore Leonard's character from Appalachia, and moves him to modern Detroit, an excellent crime show now airing on FX and Hulu. And we're going to talk to contributor Daniel Cohen about Greg Wallace's British Miracle Meat, which is a satirical food program that aired on Channel 4 in the UK. I'm not exactly sure how you can find it If you're not in the UK, but it is all the rage, it is much talked about there, and it's well worth talking about here. But first, this week's hit movie is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, a new animated Ninja Turtles movie that our contributor Pablo Gallaga is all over and very excited about being a longtime Ninja Turtles fan, and we're going to talk to him about that right after this musical interlude. The greatest summer of American movies since the last greatest summer of American movies continues this week with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, which is in theaters now. It's an animated film sort of in the vein of uh, the Spider-Verse movies and uh, I guess to some extent the Lego movies and it is getting rave reviews and it got a more or less a rave from Pablo Gallaga in Book and Film Globe this week. Pablo is here with me to talk about the Ninja Turtles. Hello. Hey, Neil. Thanks for having me. Yes. So before we talk about the movie itself, I'm not a a huge Ninja Turtles uh, fan. I I was a little old, I think, when they appeared in 1985 or 1986 to be completely consumed by uh, mutant mayhem, as it were. But you are younger than I am, and you are a, a passionate Ninja Turtles fan. Maybe talk a little bit about your, yourself as a youthful Ninja Turtles maniac.
1: So I'm in that sort of elder millennial demographic. I'm 39. So this hit right when I was like five years old, like late 80s, early 90s. I had all the toys. I had most of the play sets. Like I drove my family crazy about it and, uh, you know, eventually grew out of it. And, uh, you know, they've had a lot of starts and stops trying to kind of reboot the animated series. They've had refreshes of the lines of toys and, of course, they had the live-action films, uh, the last one being in 2016, which were mediocre at best. So, yeah, this is the one. This is the one that really finally gets it, and it feels like the IP has grown with the audience that grew up with it and is kind of like a passing-the-torch moment as well.
0: Yeah, what is fresh about this version of the Ninja Turtles? Again, you know, keeping in mind that I'm only, I only have a passing
1: familiarity with the rest of the uh, material. So the thing that you'll notice first off, and you've touched on this, is it's going to draw comparisons to Spider-Verse because of the unique art style. Um, It's entirely distinct from that, though. Like, it's not using the same art style as Spider-Verse. But, you know, I think we've kind of grown tired of seeing the same type of animated feature films that have that sort of sheen of just weird humanoid-looking people with huge eyes. And this is different. Like, this is just going to keep your attention because it's just visually striking, Um, And also, they they went out of their way to cast, you know, young people in the, the roles of the turtles, and they bounce off each other so well, like you really feel like you're watching like a group of teen brothers just have a good time together. And that's, you know, that energy is infectious. Right. I mean, it's not like the movie lacks all-star guest voices, but they're playing the the villain roles or the adult roles. Oh yeah. They filled in the rest of the cast. You've got Ice Cube, you've got Iota Berry, you've got Jackie Chan, um Paul Rudd <laughs> kind of steals the show in just like a like a throwaway cameo role. Uh Maya Rudolph, Post Malone, Rose Byrne. Yeah. It's it's star-studded.
0: Right. But the stars are the kids uh, the Ninja Turtles themselves. How do they um compare with uh previous iterations
1: of these these guys uh like i say i think it's just that young energy that youthful energy uh they've definitely kind of written the script with gen z in mind with some of the lingo that they use but no they're, they're- yeah. What are, some of the, what are some of the words the example words you you throw out yeah uh riz riz which is relatively new just kind of it's short for charisma like if you're very good at like you know hitting on people essentially um sus you know just short for suspicious uh that's kind of old it's been around for about a year or two but yeah uh they're just you know definitely a gen z version of the turtles well
0: gen z is you know is the
1: audience for this or gen z and younger really right well, it's it's both. Oh, you know, they, they. I think they're trying to capture that younger audience. But the, all the Easter eggs they've thrown in, it's definitely a film that's got the original audience of the turtles in mind as well. So they, they can both enjoy it.
0: All right. Is there anything else we need to know about what do we need to know about the Ninja Turtles? If, we, if I don't go see the movie, what are my takeaways for like trivia night for mutant mayhem? What do I need to know about this this franchise
1: going forward? So I mean, it's it's an IP that's been around for about 30 years now. So if you don't know, it's basically the story of these uh, you know four baby turtles that get mutated by uh, it's called the ooze, and they live in a sewer with their adoptive father who is a rat that was mutated, and he's voiced by Jackie Chan. And in this version of it, they just, you know, they they long to live in New York City on the surface, but, you know, the humans don't accept them. So it's a story about acceptance, really. They want to, uh, you know, become heroes so that they're they're seen that way by people and they can go live freely uh, among humans. All right, well, that's it. That's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I, I guess,
0: unlike, you know, movies we've discussed in the last couple of weeks, you know, Barbie, Oppenheimer, and other things, I guess you, there's not really, a, like, a deeper cultural significance going on here?
1: Well, actually, I think there could be. I mean, this seems to link up with Barbie better than Oppenheimer does uh, in terms of, you know, these are toys from the 90s that, you know, have had different uh, media iterations, whether it be like animation or uh, attempts at feature films. I mean, obviously, this is not approaching the level of Barbie, uh, you know, culturally and, you know, how good a film that is. Were there people dressed as turtles or wearing bandanas (laughs) at your screening? No, still people all in pink for the Barbie screenings. Uh, no, none of that yet, but who knows? Maybe, maybe this will catch that you know, cultural zeitgeist moment of, you know, this will be a double feature maybe. All right, Calabonga, Pablo, we will talk to you soon. Calabonga, thanks, Neil.
2: Now just listen to me. I'm Deputy U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens and I'm offering salvation. Talk to me. Come on, face to face. I am not opening this door. Then, as they say in the Bible, you're screwed. Remember, breathe. Marshall, welcome to Detroit. Detective, meet Raylan Givens. What's up, Slim? This ought to be good. Mansell shows up, bad shit is in the air. Any information on this dude could help
3: us. Clement
2: Menzel is my client. He's a killer, and he enjoys it. You do your job, and
0: I'll do mine. Hey, hey,
3: hey.
2: There, there he is. How are you supposed to be in that hat? Travis Trip. <laughs> you know, he did a great job. She's very sweet. Sweetheart, why don't you head upstairs? <laughs> I see you near my daughter again. I'll mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I right,
0: if I see you first I ain't gonna sleep at night this son of a bitch
4: wins I
3: don't know what you think you're doing
1: You wanna
2: play Let's play You want a shooting match Let's go Remember,
0: Justified is back on FX and Hulu, the well-loved show about Marshall Raylan Givens based on the works of Elmore Leonard. The previous seasons of Justified took place in the American South, but this new season, Justified City Primeval, has been transposed to Detroit, which is a city that Elmore Leonard knew and loved and wrote about a lot, and so he's taken his Kentucky U.S. Marshal and put him in a a northern setting, which uh, makes for a really interesting dynamic. And I have Book and Film Globe contributor Stephen McCauley here to talk to me about Justified City Primeval. Hello, Mac. Neil, how are you doing? I am doing well. So I wanted, well, A, you wrote about the show, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it on the podcast. But also, I'm not familiar, particularly familiar with Detroit, And that is a city that you have a lot of experience with. So, what I'm interested in well, first of all, you wrote about uh, Elmore Leonard's background in Detroit. Maybe you tell me a little bit about that.
3: Well, although he was actually born in New Orleans, uh, his dad worked for General Motors. And when he was nine years old, they moved to Detroit. And Leonard became essentially a lifelong Detroiter. Uh, He actually worked for an ad agency in town. uh, Campbell Ewald, which was uh, rather legendary around the Detroit area, um, as it did a lot of ads for General Motors. Surprise, surprise. And famously, Leonard got up very early in the morning and started writing works that were not advertising related, and then he'd go to work. And uh, a lot of these stories were Westerns. And as time went on, he started writing crime fiction as well. So I, I think if we look at his Areas of interest in terms of his fiction work, you know, the Westerns on the one hand and then the crime novels on the other hand, crime novels and stories. It sort of gets to the creation of of Raylan Givens, the uh, U.S. Marshal, who is, as you suggest, the star of Justified, the original series, which um, ran for 78 episodes, as well as the New City Primeval you were a little bit off because um, the first Justified was in, set in eastern Kentucky, and I don't know that we would really consider that to be the south. Appalachia. But yes. And as, as that story indicates, Raylan actually grew up in a uh, in Harlan County in a coal mining community. And one could discern from that that perhaps that gave him his sense of, of justice, his sense of right and wrong, which I think is fundamental to this whole... Now, giant work. There's no doubt, though, that um, you know, coal
0: mining country in Kentucky and uh, Detroit, which is you know the cityiest of American cities, uh, it, it's a very different um, world, right? And especially, you know, when the, sh- the show uh, Justified City Primeval begins, uh, Raylan Gibbons has been kind of hiding out in Florida, or he's been taking care of his uh, teenage daughter in Florida, and he ends up just kind of bumbling into this crime plot. Uh, that is based out of Michigan. I mean, he literally bumbles into it.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's sort of interesting, you know, getting back to um, Leonard's career, um, a number of his books, a number of his crime books are set in Miami. So um, Out of Sight, which became the movie of the same name with uh, George Clooney and, and Jennifer Lopez, is is set in Miami and in Detroit. So, you know, you you get this sense that that he sort of saw those two places being alike and to your to your point of the characterization of Detroit in an episode of City Primeval, Raylan says, I ain't been here a week and the shit I've seen has certainly given me pause, which I think is just classic for the city.
0: Yes. And so, you know, the the Detroit uh depicted in the show is, is is gritty as hell. I mean, it's like you've got. A, there's a casino that you spend a lot of time in. The casino you spend a lot of time in a dive bar called Sweeties. Uh, lots of time in lawyers' offices and police stations. There's a, a kind of a noir vibe to it, you know. And I I am enjoying the show. I've I've seen three of the four episodes that have aired so far. I will say, like, I find I, I have been finding these sort of scenes between Raylan and his teenage daughter. To fall a little flat, mostly because I feel like the the girl they have playing the teenage daughter isn't very good. But the show itself is really fun because uh, Tim, Timothy Oilfent as, uh, as Raylan Givens is as good as ever. And the villain, Clement Mansell, played by Boyd Holbrook, is just so evil and so sleazy. And just just you really want to see him lose. He wanted, I, I really wanted to see a bad guy lose as much as I want to see this guy lose. You want to see him lose hard, hard, and 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 and, and, and he deserves it. He's such an asshole,
3: <laughs> right? You know, to the point of of the the actress who plays the daughter. She's actually Timothy Oliphant's real daughter, so that's uh, perhaps explains why there's some you know, sense of not a real actress or you know, whatever's a real actress though.
0: Right. I'm just saying that those scenes do fall a little flat, especially compared with the rest of the show, which has um, a kind of a you know, which has some snap to it, which, you know, here's the thing. Elmore Leonard is obviously no longer with us. So the show is a, a kind of a, a take on the Elmore Leonard vibe. So you don't have the the necessarily the snap and the rhythm of his dialogue in every scene. But there's there's that sort of the, the aura uh, still hangs over the
3: show. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that I wonder about is what do people who did not see the first six seasons of the show think about seeing this guy showing up in Detroit wearing a Stetson, which I can assure you Stetsons are not seen very often in this part of the world. And and I just wonder if, if you know, you, you have to read a lot into City Primeval, have to read a lot into understanding who this character is. To get it,
0: yeah, I think so. I think so. Although, I mean, the show makes it pretty obvious who he is, and they certainly talk about his past a lot. And I, I'll admit, I didn't see all six seasons of Justified. I've seen you know episodes here and there. I, I sound like I followed it uh, religiously, and that's a lot of TV. Seven eight hours is a lot of TV to catch up on. So you know, it's just you get this sort of fish out of water vibe. He could he doesn't have to be from Harlan County, Kentucky. He could easily be from Texas. You know, he could be from Utah. You know, it could be from where wherever, Bakersfield, you know, we're in a Stetson. It doesn't really matter. You know, he, he we you just know that he's kind of a um he's a, a real cop, but he's also got this kind of like tough justice um vibe to him. I mean, there's a scene in episode two where he just literally he beats the crap out of the antagonist brutally on the street, you know, and you you see that what, what this guy is actually capable of. You know, most of the time he just kind of is Riley speaking to people, but that he is capable of, of Going full ham on someone, yeah. His smooth demeanor gives way
3: in certainly in that scene,
0: and that seems very that seems very effective. And it, it set it sets the uh, it sets the central conflict of the show up really well. Uh, all right, so I mean, look this this is a this is not a great show. Justified City Primeval is not a great show, but it does it does have like a it is does feel like a good pulpy piece of crime fiction. You know, it's not it's not a work of art. It's not the this isn't the wire. You know, it, it's not super nuanced, um, but it is
3: fun. Oh, absolutely, and, and and I think that they're doing you know a masterful job in terms of the setting now. Even though um, it was filmed in Chicago, not in Detroit, is that right? Um, that makes sense. Yeah. It, I mean, th- there are <laughs> there are scenes from Detroit. You know, so so obviously, um, you know, the, the second director or they got B roll or something. I mean, there there are Detroit scenes. Make no mistake. But uh, say for for example the casino. I don't know where the hell that casino's from. It's just there are three casinos in Detroit, but that's not one of them. Uh huh. Oh well. Okay. So I guess the
0: question is all right. So it's filmed in Chicago, but is the is the vibe Detroit? Did did you get a sense of the city through the show, or could it be Baltimore or anywhere?
3: No, I I I think it I think it is Detroit. I mean, and I think that gets back to the whole thing of Elmore Leonard. I mean, that that he, you know, was part of this community. He understood this community. Um, you know, he it seems, you know, spent a lot of time in in downtown Detroit. Probably spent a lot of time, you know, in in the uh the City County building and the Frank Murphy Hall of Justice getting familiarized with uh court cases and how that whole thing works. Um, I th- I think it is Detroit. I think that it, it you know shows Detroit in a way that certainly the Chamber of Commerce would not be in favor of, but the underlying substance is there. All right.
0: Well, it is the most Detroit show on television right now, uh, Justified City Primeval, airing on FX and Hulu. Stephen McCauley wrote about it for us on Book and Film Globe. Uh, thanks for joining us, we'll have you back again. Sure thing, thanks Neil.
2: Lay How do you solve the cost of living crisis with engineered human meats? It sounds like magic. And this is where the magic happens. The Good Harvest Processing Plant has been up and running for over eight months. It contains both industrial and clinical operations on a site the size of four football pitches. Are you Mick? I certainly am. Pleased to meet you. Greg? Very good to meet you. I'm here to learn. Right. Come this way and I'll show you how it all works. I want to see everything. Oh, you will. (laughs) Mick Ross oversees the production line and is in charge of over 60 full-time staff who engineer roughly 50,000 steaks every day. So you're telling me that that is human flesh? Exactly. But why human meat? Why not animal meat? That's a very good question. That's right, a protein made from human cells that promises to be cheaper and tastier than any of its competitors. I'm Greg Wallace, and I'm off to visit Good Harvest, where a whopping six tons of human meat is engineered every day. That is stunning.
0: This week's television sensation in the United Kingdom is something called... The British Miracle Meat, Greg Wallace's British Miracle Meat. It's essentially a a, a satire of of cooking shows and of food documentaries. A very vicious, biting satire. And Daniel Cohen, our food correspondent, somehow managed to watch this show from his home in the United States. We won't really, we won't reveal how, but he saw it, uh, and it has proven to be a very polarizing program in the UK. And we ran the first article. Uh, in the u.s about it uh, on book and film globe and daniel is here to talk to me about uh, british miracle meat hello daniel hi there hello so let's not uh let's not bury the lead the miracle meat is human flesh
4: yes the the miracle meat is lab-grown human flesh from they use the word donors uh, the fake the fake company of the fake show they use the word donors which is the gilding the lily a little bit i would say there's this there's maybe something more going on than just uh, altruism in the, in the way that the flesh is uh, obtained.
0: People donate their meat here like people donate blood to pay their rent, basically. That's, that's kind of what it comes down to. You know, the, the show is essentially a savage indictment of what they call in the UK the cost of living crisis, which from why I'm, I have not been in the UK in a few years, what I gather is far more severe than it is even in the United States.
4: Yeah, that's true. And and there's a there's a bunch of factors going about. I don't want to turn this into economics hour on on Book and Film Globe. But it's important I think to define the cost of living crisis. Essentially, it's real wages falling while the uh price of goods and services, particularly um energy and food, go up. And it's a, it's a direct reaction to Brexit and also just domestic policies that Liz Trust, the shortest serving prime minister in in United Kingdom history, uh, the reason she is so short serving is because her staff issued a what was called, what they called a mini budget last fall that, among other things, attempted to uh, cut taxes on people that made more than a couple hundred grand and Basically, just gave large large subsidies to the uh, energy industry.
0: Basically, so this is economic inequality on steroids. And you know, this show is so clever. I I didn't. I haven't watched the whole thing. I watched. I found clips on YouTube and on TikTok or wherever I I could extract them. And you know, Greg Wallace is this jolly, bald, bespectacled middle aged uh, chef who is a judge. On MasterChef UK and other uh, sh- uh, food programs, so he presents. You know, he was able to parody himself, and he, pre- and he and he sort of acts as a presenter for this cure for the cost of living crisis and for um, lack of nutrition and hunger in the UK. And he goes to this factory uh, where they're growing the meat. You know, and he's and he's real upbeat and cheerful about it. And I, very, I, I thought his performance was very clever.
4: Yeah, so it's a style parody of the kinds of shows that you would see Greg Wallace host, right? These sort of like one-off food documentaries that are very, very much lightweight programs that are sort of the kind of thing you can tune out and, and watch. You know, I fall asleep to this stuff all the time. Uh however, the content, you know, gets weirder and weirder as the show goes on. And 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 yeah, polarizing, as you said earlier, is a good way to describe it. Immediately, um, the British entertainment regulator, Ofcom, Began getting hundreds of complaints from people who thought it was in poor taste or thought it was real, and, and plenty more people that understood what was going on didn't even think it was funny. But I, I, I think it really hit a nerve with most viewers based on the uh, English press coverage I've seen. Well,
0: there's a there's a long history in British satire of proposing that people eat children. You know, uh, Jonathan Swift's *A Modest Proposal* the considered the, sort of the the first founding document of modern satire was was basically about that and uh you know as you mentioned in, in your piece this show uh, is so indebted to a model's proposal that it actually thanks thanks a model's proposal in its credits tongue-in-cheek again
4: so again t- tongue-in-cheek is sort of to head off any sort of criticism that they basically just copied a model's proposal and, and to be fair they, they didn't the 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 babies don't have to be irish
0: Right, and also there's a science thing going on here. There's the, there's the whole fear of lab-grown food in addition to the satire of um, this cost-of-living crisis, right, and also of food te- television. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Swift didn't have any of that in, in, his, uh, in his quiver.
4: No, and it's – yeah, you're right. See, the timing of this is really funny because, you know, ab- about a month ago, like, the U.S. Appro- approved lab-grown chicken you can get it now. It's, it's, it's in certain restaurants.
0: It's like in certain like upscale restaurants, I'm guessing.
4: Yeah. I um, mean, it's, it's, it's very much a luxury product right now, but it's like the timing of this with regards to reality couldn't have been better because it, it, it does seem like something that could be scientifically plausible.
0: I mean, it's basically like the food network presents Soylent Green, you know? Right. Yes. That's a great way to put it. I, I, I like the style parody because you, you and I are both, uh, you know, quite obsessed with uh, with food shows. And I thought it was interesting that Greg Wallace had um, as his special chef guest uh, one Michel Roux, who is a uh, an esteemed British chef. He's the uh, chef at uh, Le Gavroche, a, a, a two Michelin star restaurant, and used to be, which used to be three, by the way. Oh well, he's yeah, and he's also the host of something that's airing on Netflix right now called Five Star Chef,
4: in uh, which um, five star chef
0: a bunch of mediocre uh, chefs uh, compete to be the head chef at the Palm court in London. And I watched, I was watching five-star chef and I was thinking, and, and I was, you know, the, the cooking competition itself, is pretty, pretty poor and the chefs are pretty poor, but I was noticing that the clientele they were cooking for the sort of the, the upscale British people, they looked like these ridiculous parodies out of, a, out of the hunger games um, uh, uh, you know, of rich British toffs. And I was just thinking like, there is something very weird going on in the UK
4: right yeah, now. Yeah, and and I thought what was interesting too was without directly commenting on it, five five star chef, you know anybody that kind of came at that competition from from left field in terms of of cuisines was basically you know doomed. Like like Puerto Rican food, who knows what that is in London? Like this, it's it just showed like that. Almost a level of contempt for the people that actually eat at these restaurants. That they would pre- they would prefer something safe and recognizable
0: to the point where one of the finalists, uh, this guy named Jordan, was a chef who had been homeless, living in the woods, um, you know, just five years earlier, and then managed to extricate himself and got a job in a kitchen and started his own restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and this is the guy. How could he possibly feel comfortable um, serving a banquet to for someone's to a hundred people for someone's 50th birthday party at at the langham hotel in london the whole the whole thing just felt kind of gross to me and i I, i'm wondering if um the the uh sort of outsized reaction to this british miracle Meat documentary kind of you know um taps in to uh there's a class rage going on in in england right now
4: there is a class rage that's a really interesting point because i think that even seeps into like food TV over there. The, the biggest export is, is Bake Off, right? And Bake Off is nothing if not posh.
0: Sure. You're going to, you're going to make a, uh, a
4: Pavlova. Yeah. I'm a, uh, your next, your next challenge is a Bettenberg made out of seaweed sponge. Like it, it's just. Yeah, exactly. So there's a, but that's,
0: I, that's a problem I have with food TV in the United States too, watching Top Chef. I love these food shows, but I'm thinking like they're just wasting thousands of pounds of meat and fish and countless dollars worth of luxury ingredients and there's so much hunger and you know a box of cheerios is eight bucks
4: you know and i think i think the london season of top chef was really egregious about that too it was always some goddamn garden party or they're cooking out in front of a museum or something and like it's the biggest collection of of like white linen three-piece suits you've ever seen in your life yeah, and there's no
0: accident that Padma Lakshmi left the show after that season. I mean, I think she was probably just t- done with it anyway. But, you know, she's been doing this Feed the Nation show on Hulu where she, you know, goes around to indigenous communities and, like, visits local food cultures. And I think that, you know, she um, she's probably tired of catering to these, these talks.
4: I would imagine that it has something to do with it. I mean, I think 20 years hosting a single show. You start to look for new challenges, but yeah. I applied. I applied
0: for the job, but I didn't get it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Clearly you would have been a better choice than Kristen. But yeah, if you watch Taste the Nation, you know that like she's very interested in doing a version of like Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. Yeah. Which is great, by the way, because. If you've seen like the Puerto Rico episode of Taste the Nation, it's a fantastic episode of television because it doesn't it doesn't spend any time in the city. It doesn't spend any time on the beach. Goes inland and really discovers a lot of, of, of interesting stuff about indigenous Puerto Rican cuisine.
0: Well, I think that you know Padma Lakshmi and Anthony Bourdain would have loved the British Miracle Meat. Um, you know, I, I, well, I mean, Padma Lakshmi still could love it, but I'm saying it, yeah. it, it, it is it is the kind of thing that anyone with a sort of a social conscience is gonna is gonna dig. Like, I'm I'm extremely happy to see this done and. To see this in the great tradition, as you put of of of, uh, British television satire, you know, Brass Eye, of Ghost Watch, I do hope, I really do, that um, this might be the breaking of what I consider like a crazed food TV fever, you know, and that that maybe we can get back to basics a little bit and and have food TV. Be a little bit more about um, you know teaching people how to cook, <laughs> and <laughs> sure. and a little a, a little less about like trying trying to like uh, you know serve up the uh, perfect five star tea service.
4: Yeah, and I think it's interesting too that like like you said earlier that that our article was the first time this has been covered in the U.S. press. You know this this got so much press in the U.K. that you would have thought that it would have carried over here by now, but. Besides, like the people that I've told about it, and the ones who've read about it on our site, there doesn't seem to be anybody in the U.S. that's talking about this. Yeah, and and that might be intent- intentional in the parts of the gatekeepers in the media. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, we might be more in denial about the about what is going on with our food system than they are in the U.K. You know, Well, They're- true,
4: and 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 we don't really have a cost of living crisis nearly as severe as theirs, but. There's nothing in this show that doesn't translate immediately to an American audience. It's not over British in the way that British TV can sometimes be.
0: Like you said, lab-grown chicken is now available uh, at, at fine dining restaurants. I would certainly, I, I would certainly be willing to try lab-grown chicken. I mean, I'd rather do that than eat a, eat an animal.
4: But it's got to be a baby chicken, a, a poussin, a poussin. Michel 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 Roux's great miracle poussin. <laughs> All right, Daniel
0: Cohen. Thank you for covering uh, Greg Wallace's British miracle meat for us. I don't know how, uh, if you're not in the UK, you're going to find it. You you might you might have your own methods. We we're not going to reveal them here.
4: No, we we stand on the side of legality when it comes to streaming.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks,
4: Daniel. Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks, Daniel Cohen. Greg Wallace's British miracle meat aired on Channel 4 in the UK, and that's the only place you can find it at the moment, uh, but perhaps it will come to your country. It is well worth talking about and well worth watching, and you should definitely be careful about what you put in your mouth. Also, thanks to Stephen McCauley for talking to me about Justified City Primeval, now airing on FX and Hulu in the US. And thanks to Pablo Gallaga for raving about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, another hit movie in a summer full of hit movies. What a delight it has been to go to the movies this summer. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of book and film and streaming TV and fake food documentaries and Ninja Turtle cartoons and so much more. I will talk to you soon.
4: Original production.